0: As we open God's Word together this morning, let us go to Him in prayer. Lord, we come to You, the author of Your Word, that we would be open to what You have to say to us through the parables of Jesus. That You would challenge our hearts, that You would challenge our minds, that You would help us to see You uh, like You are. Help us to see ourselves the way we need to see ourselves, that we may move forward in our journey with You. Now, would you speak to us now? Would you fill us with your Holy Spirit and make us into the people you want us to be? In Jesus' name, amen. One of our favorite places to go as a family, especially during the summer, is to Hilton Head. And we love it, one, because it's the beach, and two, they have a lot of bike trails there. We love riding bikes together and going on all the bike trails. But Hilton Head is an island, and all of you probably know that. But it is an island. And before 1956, there was no bridge to Hilton Head, and so there was really no way to really access that island for the people on the mainland, at least the majority of the people. And so in 1956, they built this two-lane bridge. It's called the James F. Burns Bridge. It's a two-lane swing bridge. And what it did is it gave access to the people on the mainland to this island, and it gave access for the people on the island to the mainland. And I think in just the, the year that it was opened, the first year it was opened, this bridge saw like 48,000 cars go across it. And so people were taking advantage of that access and really enjoying this place called Hilton Head. That's 1956. Later, 1982, a four-lane bridge was constructed and even more people were able to uh, take advantage of this, this wonderful place of beaches and bike trails and old live oaks and just the beauty that is there. And the purpose of the bridge is to connect two places. It takes the mainland, it takes Hilton Head, and it connects them together so that you can have access, right? That's the purpose of the bridge. And in order to construct a bridge, it takes time, it takes resources, it takes skill. But the whole point is to invest all of that in order to give people access to these places. And that's one way to use a bridge, is the physical structure to connect two places. But also there's a way to bridge two people. We build bridges to others. In other words, as Christians, we have the opportunity to build bridges to other people and give them more access to the goodness of God, the grace of God, the mercy of God, and the gospel of God. We, as believers, are bridge builders. At least that's what we should be. And that we should be living our lives, using our resources to build these bridges into the lives of other people so that they can have even more access to who God is. And so the question is, are we building those bridges of compassion? Are we building bridges of compassion to those around us fueled by our love for God and our love for others? That's the question, and I think that's the question that Jesus is getting at in this parable of the rich man and Lazarus. And there's three truths I want to share with you from this parable that will help us understand that question, this idea, are we building bridges of compassion or not? And why should we? The first truth that we see in the parable is that Jesus expects us to be building these bridges of compassion now. Like right now. Before we go to be with Him. Or before He returns. He wants us to be building those bridges of compassion now. And so He tells this parable and he introduces us to two men on extreme ends of the social spectrum. Okay, you have the rich man, and then you have this poor man named Lazarus. And Lazarus has been laid by the gate of this rich man's estate. And it says this rich man, he knows who Lazarus is, he recognizes that this man's sitting by his gate, and he passes him all the time when he's bringing in you know, his grocery bags full of And shopping bags full of purple clothes. And uh, cartfuls of food. Because that's all this man does. Is dresses in purple and eats all the time. That's what he does. I guess he doesn't have a job. Must have inherited a lot of money. But all he does is just enjoy himself with his riches. And he passes by Lazarus. Week in, week out. And it says Lazarus just craves just some of the crumbs. Just give me some crumbs. And it never says that the rich man does anything to help Lazarus. Well, both men die. And it says that Lazarus is carried to Abraham's side. Whereas the rich man is taken to Hades or hell. And so for the first time in a long time, Lazarus is experiencing fullness, satisfaction. Because he's at Abraham's side. He's in heaven. And the rich man... Uh, for the first time in a long time, is experiencing emptiness. And in his dehydrated, parched state, he cries out to Abraham. And he says, Send Lazarus to bring me some water. Which is interesting. You know, this rich man, he's in hell, and he's still treating Lazarus like he's his servant. Why don't you send Lazarus down here and give me something to drink? Well... Abraham replies and says to the rich man, he says that in your lifetime, in verse 25, you received good things, and Lazarus, in like manner, bad things. Now he is comforted here, and you are in anguish. In other words, you know, the tables have turned. Lazarus is experiencing fullness and satisfaction, and the rich man is experiencing emptiness. And Jesus uses these two men at these, these ends of the spectrum, the economic spectrum, to make a point. And His immediate context here is the Pharisees. He was dealing with the Pharisees. And I get that from Luke sixteen fourteen. We see the context. You know, Jesus has just taught about the wise steward, that we are to use God's people. We're to use God's resources for God's mission. And the Pharisees... Verse 14 says, The Pharisees who were lovers of money heard all these things and they ridiculed him. And so this is the context in which Jesus is teaching these parables. He's teaching them to some of these Pharisees whose love of money outranked their love for people. And what we see here is this self-love of the Pharisees kept them from loving others and it kept them from building these bridges of compassion to those who are in need around them. And so Jesus tells this story, and he clearly portrays the rich man as the bad guy and the poor man as the good guy. Because the rich man is supposed to, you know, represent the Pharisees. However, it's not what the rich man did that got him into hell. Which is interesting. It's not, it doesn't say anything. He didn't do anything, you know, sinful necessarily. you, know, you don't see him out you know, growing rich from dishonest means or anything like that. But rather, it's what the rich man didn't do. Which is what landed him in hell. And one thing that's interesting this parable that we need to recognize. Out of all the parables of Jesus, every single one of them, this is the only parable in which Jesus gives one of his characters a proper name. In all the other parables, Jesus references a man, a woman, you know, a master, a servant, a brother, a father, but he never gives a name, a proper name. And this is the only parable in which he does that. And he only gives it to Lazarus out of the two characters, Lazarus and the rich man. And Lazarus, his name means, and I think this is significant to understand the parable, His name means God is my help. God is my help. Whereas the rich man is just giving the designation rich. And so what we see here is that Lazarus, he goes to heaven because God is his help. Whereas the rich man goes to hell because something other than God, namely his riches, is what he's basing his help on. He's building his life on. And so, thinking about this parable, I wonder if someone were to just characterize your life, what name would they give you? And would they call you Lazarus? God is your help. Or would they call you the rich man or the rich woman or the athletic man or the athletic woman or the industrious woman or the organized man or the political man, you know? Or the powerful woman. Or would they call you, Lazarus. God is your help. Well we see this parable primarily is dealing with how we use our resources, how we use our money. And the warning is that we must not use our money to keep us from being generous and giving to those and helping those around us. But if we look at our money, and it tells us this with the rich man, if we look at our money as our primary means of help, our security, our identity, then what we're always going to do is see how we can gather more money and give less. That's just the way it goes. And that's what we see in the rich man. When your life is based on money, love of money, then you seek to gather more for yourself and limit how you give and help others around you. In other words, you do not build bridges. You more so build like a cul-de-sac, where you kind of gather all your stuff together you know, and put up like a big wall so no one will come and get your money. Because if your help is your money, that's your security. And so if something threatens your money, then you're going to be very anxious, depressed, angry, fearful. Right? So you want to protect it, keep it. But if God is your help, even like Lazarus who has nothing... He can live at peace with God, knowing that God, even though he may not give him money now, he will experience fullness at Abraham's side when he goes to be with him. I want to tell you a story about this wise man and this rich man. This rich man was distressed and he goes to seek counsel from this wise man. And so the rich man comes to the wise man's house and the wise man takes him by the hand and takes him over to the window. Takes him to the window and he says, what do you see? And the rich man looks out the window and he says, I see men, women, children. And then the wise man takes the rich man by the hand and leads him over to a mirror. And he says, look at the mirror, tell me what you see. And So he looks at the mirror and he says, now I see myself. And the wise man says, both the window and the mirror are both made out of glass But you see, as soon as the mirror, the glass in the mirror, is is just covered with a little silver, you no longer see others, but you only see yourself. And the point of that story, and the point of this parable is, we must be careful that we don't allow money to turn our focus on ourselves, but rather, we should use what God gives us to be about God's mission. And to build bridges into the lives of people so they can have more access to the goodness, the grace, the mercy, and the forgiveness of God. I mean, just think about it. When you you see someone in need and you share something with them, what you're doing is you're just giving them a glimpse of how God has shared himself with you in Christ. Or when someone's down and you lift them up by encouraging them or helping them in some way through your resources... You're just giving them a glimpse of how God in His richness has showered upon you riches in Christ. Or when someone is discouraged and you give them a word of encouragement and comfort them. Or come alongside them in a difficult time and help them be comforted. What you're doing is you're just showing them that this is how I'm comforted by God in Christ. Christ has comforted me in my affliction and my sin by covering me with grace and mercy and forgiveness. And now I just want to give you a glimpse of that. And see, when you do that, what you've done is you have built a bridge. And you have given them access to more of who God is. Whereas before, that may have been limited to them. And so the first truth is that this love of God, if you have this love of God within you, it makes you a bridge builder. That's what it does. It. it, It drives you, compels you to want to build bridges with other people to share with them the goodness of God. And if you do not have the love of God in you, then you will not build bridges. You'll build cul-de-sacs and storage sheds, you know, and pile things up for yourself. The second truth in this parable is that there will come a time when it will be impossible to build bridges. You know, when Lazarus is he's taken into heaven and the rich man is taken to hell, Abraham says there's this great chasm, there's this great gulf that separates them. And the idea is that there's a separation that is it's permanent, it's unalterable, uh, it cannot be bridged. And at first the rich man looks up, and it, this is a parable, so we don't want to push the details too much, but he looks up and he's, he, he seems to think that Lazarus Abraham could send Lazarus and, you know, bring some some water. he has that thinking. You know, send Lazarus, you know, I'm, I'm parched, I'm in anguish here, bring me some water to cool my tongue. And then Abraham replies in verse 26 and he says this. He says, "...between us and you a great chasm has been fixed, in order that those who would pass from here to you may not be able... And none may cross from there to us. See, there's this great chasm that is unbridgeable. There, there's no bridge that can connect these two realities and allow people to cross. And so the main point here is that where you spend eternity, you know, where you spend life after death is determined by this life before death and what we do with God now will determine what God does with us then. And so this rich man at first in his life in this life now he thought, I'm a child of Abraham. I'm in the covenant community. You know, surely my eternal life with God is secured. But listen to what John the Baptist says to some of the religious leaders in Matthew 3, 7 through 10. John says, but John Matthew records, but when he saw, meaning John the Baptist, when John the Baptist saw many of the Pharisees and Sadducees coming to his baptism, he said to them, You brood of vipers, who warned you to flee from the wrath to come? Bear fruit in keeping with repentance. And do not presume to say to yourselves. We have Abraham as our father. For I tell you, God is able from these stones to raise up children for Abraham. Even now the axe is laid to the root of the trees. Every tree, therefore, that does not bear good fruit is cut down and thrown into the fire. See, the rich man thought, well, I'm a child of Abraham. You know, I come from the ancestry of Abraham. Therefore, my eternal life is secure. I can live however I want. And John says, no. God can raise up children for Abraham out of these stones. Don't presume just because you have some type of heritage that you're right with God. And what we see here is that the rich man presumed upon God's grace. He presumed upon what makes someone right with God. He assumed that his bloodline to Abraham secured his eternal destiny with God and in fact he was wrong and John tells us, John the Baptist says that we must bear fruit in keeping with repentance in other words saving faith produces good works saving faith in Christ makes you more like Christ so saving faith in Christ makes you a bridge builder it makes you a conduit For the grace and mercy and love of God. Right? Listen to James chapter 2, verses 14 through 17. James writes, What good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed, lacking in daily food, Lazarus, and one of you says to him, Go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving him the things, things needed for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. See, if God is your help, if your faith is in Christ, then that faith will produce mercy and compassion. It can't help but not. I mean, that's just what it will do. That's what will happen if you have saving faith. But the rich man demonstrated no mercy, right? He demonstrated no mercy to Lazarus and therefore leads us to believe he had no faith. And if he has no faith, then there is no salvation. And let me be clear, it's not the demonstration of mercy that saves you. It's faith in Christ that saves you. But if you have faith in Christ, you will demonstrate mercy. That's what you will do. Just like if you are an apple tree, you will produce apples, right? If you are a Christian, you will be Christ-like. That's just what happens. And if you don't show mercy and compassion, then you need to evaluate yourself and say, do I have saving faith? Is the love of God residing in me? Have I experienced His grace? And so the question is, are we building bridges of compassion? You know, are we living for Christ or are we living for ourselves? And I want to encourage you, you look, look for ways to build those bridges. Open your eyes, look around you, look for ways to give people more access to who God is. Let's not assume they know. Let's not assume they know. Let's build those bridges so that they can come to know God better and perhaps place their faith in Christ. The third truth I want to share with you from this parable is that God God has built the bridge. The rich man makes one final request of Abraham. He says in verse 27, Then I beg you, Father, send him, meaning Lazarus, again, you know, Lazarus the good servant, send Lazarus, since he can't give me a drink of water, send him to my father's house, for I have five brothers, five brothers, so that he may warn them, lest they also come into this place of torment. Now, at first, that sounds compassionate, right? He cares for his brothers. He doesn't want his brothers to end up in hell. That's understandable. But think, think about this a little bit more. What he's, what he's saying, I think what he's saying here as well is, see, if I would have just had more information, I would have repented and helped Lazarus. See, if God would have done something more miraculous in my life, if He would have given me more information, more of a sign, then I would have repented. So if you would just send Lazarus back, I bet you my brothers will repent and they won't end up where I am. And look what Abraham says to him. Verse 31, If they do not hear Moses and the prophets, neither will they be convinced if someone should rise from the dead. He's telling them, he's saying, your brothers, if they don't believe Moses and the prophets, it doesn't matter what they see, they will not repent. In other words, he's saying, God has sufficiently revealed Himself in His Word and given you all that you need to know for salvation. Through Moses, through the prophets, there's, there's this thread of redemption that constantly tells us Turn from sin. Turn from building your life on something other than God. Turn from that and turn to God for forgiveness. And Moses and the prophets, it's like the, they're like the blueprints. They're telling us God is building the bridge. God is going to make a way for you to have your sin forgiven, for you to cross over from death to life, for you to spend eternity with Him. Moses and the prophets, they're, they're screaming this. God is going to do this. God is going to make a way... Place your faith in God. Follow God. And we see the plans of the bridge and then we see the coming of Christ who is the bridge Himself. He is the bridge. He's the one through whom we cross from death to life. He's the one through whom we receive forgiveness and grace. He's the bridge. However, this bridge that He's constructed is only temporarily in place. You think about a drawbridge, you know, it's it's in place, it accomplishes the purpose, but one day Christ is going to rise or return, you might say, to the earth, and He will no longer take on the role as bridge, but He'll take on the role as judge. And those of us who have crossed the bridge by faith, placed our faith in Christ, we will be brought into the presence of Abraham and other believers in the kingdom of God. Whereas those who have built their lives on something other than God will be placed in, on the other side of that great chasm separated from the goodness and the glory of God. And so we have to ask ourselves, have we, have we crossed that bridge of salvation? Have we placed our faith in Christ? And if we have, if you are a believer in Christ, Then this parable tells us, allow the mercy of God to flow through you and build those bridges of compassion to those around you. Use what God has given you, all the resources, the gifts, the abilities to build those bridges to the people around you, to give them more access to the person and work of God. Let us pray. Lord God, thank You for this parable. Thank You for Your Word and that it's sufficient. It is sufficient to tell us who we are, to tell us who You are, to tell us how You have built the bridge to us through Christ and how we can be transferred from darkness to light, how we can receive forgiveness for for our sin and that we can inherit new life. We can be the people You want us to be. We can experience life the way You meant it to be experienced both now and forever. Lord, help us all to be sensitive to your Holy Spirit. Help us to know how we're perhaps being uh, stingy with our resources and how we fail to build bridges. Lord, help us to be repentant as we hear your word. Help us to to be willing to use whatever you give us just to build bridges with other people that they may see you, that they may uh, see more of who Christ is. And be given the opportunity to respond in faith. Lord, we desire to be your people, and we desire to represent you well in this place. And by your power, by the power of your spirit, may that be so, as we go from here today. In Jesus' name. Amen.